0: Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Purina. This month's podcast features an interview with Fran Severn, author of the book, Riders of a Certain Age. But before we get into all that, I wanted to give everyone another update from Dressage Today. In our January podcast, we ran the interview I did with para-writer Genevieve Roner after her Win-a-Day clinic with Adrian Lyle. To follow up on that, Actually, Adrian graces the cover of the spring issue of Practical Horsemen, which should be arriving in mailboxes as we speak. And inside those pages is also a feature piece on the clinic. But if that isn't enough, Dressage Today on Demand is releasing the videos of the clinic rides. And we are really excited to have someone of Adrian's caliber join Dressage Today on Demand. I'll say I know. And then, you know, even well, not even not even better. But in addition to we have a little bit of an update, our um, interview also from a few months ago we did with Anna Buffini. She just and along with Ashley Holzer, just represented the the U.S. at the World Cup and um, both ladies, riding both mayors, I'll have you say. So it was an all-woman team. I love it. (laughs) I know, so do I. Did, you know, represented the United States very,
1: very well. And we're very proud of both of them. Aren't we lucky that we get to talk to people of their caliber?
0: We are. And Anna was lovely. And maybe one of these days we'll be able to speak with Ashley as well. And I know, I'm, I'm sure they will continue to do to do more things internationally. So, yeah, it's fun. We get to talk to all these important
1: people. I know, I know, <laughs> best job ever. <laughs> <laughs> but then
0: more international travel, <laughs> we, yeah. have, we have what we are calling our new temporary segment, the March to the Maccabi.
1: So it. Aviva, What news do you have to share about your international event? Well, I'm very excited that it looks like we now have a fourth member of our team. Um, I talked last month about our coach, Rebecca Cord, and Rebecca has a student um, named Kat. I don't know her last name yet, (laughs) but it turns out that 18-year-old Kat is Jewish and is interested in joining our team, and she will be joining our team Wow. So we're super excited to welcome her. And um, now we're just sort of trying to organize everything and figure out all of the nitty gritty details. Um, it looks as if we have found horses um, for Rebecca and Sarah. And I think also for me. Okay. Um So I can't wait to find out more about this horse. All I know at this point is that it's a Gelding and he's chestnut um, and he's done some third level and I don't know how successfully or not, but I've seen a couple minutes of video and he looks like just a really good citizen. Um, So I'm super excited about that. Um, My fundraising has been going great guns. I have the most wonderful community, Stephanie. I am so fortunate. Um, the auction is going so well. I have about 68 items on the auction. Almost all of them already have bids on them after only a couple of weeks. Wow. And the auction has already raised over $5,000. Wow. Which is just amazing. Of course, yeah. the whole five thousand dollars. Trust me, the you know the auction site and the and the credit card companies. <laughs> that's still a really substantial amount of money, um, and that's going to go towards the lease on the horse, um, which is becoming more and more expensive as we speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, if any of our listeners are interested in taking a quick look at the auction, it's super exciting. Um, it's www 32auctions.com slash Maccabi USA Dressage 2022. Um, And all you need to do is register and then bid and have fun. And believe it or not, new things are coming in every day. So um, as I know more, I will share more. I do, I can tell you that um, Wizards Creations created brow bands, for us they're red white and blue they're absolutely beautiful and stunning and my very dear friend and fei trainer maria trishman paid for them for us wow yay so we're going to go down center line looking pretty fancy that's awesome (laughs) yeah so more as i know it and um thanks for thanks for remembering and asking Yes. Oh, of course. Well, we,
0: we will expect an update every month now. <laughs>
1: okay, I'll do it.
0: <laughs> Our Ask the L question this month comes from Laura. She wants to know how judges feel about a writer using a reader. And in the instance that if a writer that has a reader still goes off course... <laughs> Can, which I'm sure has probably happened, oh, yeah. can, <laughs> can the reader do anything or is it up to the judge to stop
1: the test and explain the error? So that's a great question, Laura. Thank you for asking it. Um, you know, as a judge, I don't care whether you have a reader or not. Um, the The only thing about the reader is that I hear you telling somebody what to do. And I know what you're supposed to be doing. And sometimes readers make mistakes and that scares me. Um, But no, it doesn't influence my my opinion of the ride one way or the other. Um, Please know that you may not use a reader in championship classes. um, And interestingly, event riders are not permitted to use readers for their dressage tests. But at schooling shows, I don't care if you have a reader or not. I don't think most most, um, real judges care about a reader either. Um, If the rider goes off course, the reader can't help. Um, It is the responsibility of the judge to ring the bell or blow the whistle and stop the rider and tell them what the error was and where to start over again. At that point, the reader starts where the judge says, so if you were supposed to make a circle at E and you forget the circle and keep going, the judge will say, why don't you come back to, you know, whatever letter and start your circle at E. And at that point, the reader will say at E, circle 20 meters, working trot or whatever it is. Um, the reader cannot repeat anything Um, The reader cannot use the voice to help the writer in any way. Um, They need to sort of very monotonously say, do this, do this, do this. Um, You do sometimes hear readers um, using an inflection to remind a writer of something, and technically that's unfair, um, but in schooling shows, we kind of don't hear that most of the time. Um, I might, if a reader is doing something really obvious to help the writer, um, I might call out to the reader to stop it. Um, I might stop the test and explain that that is an unfair advantage or I may depending on how egregious it is allow it to continue and at the end caution both the writer and the reader that that's unacceptable but having a reader by itself if you think you need it do it that's my short answer
0: <laughs> you know it's funny only only once when I was showing a lot did I use a reader because I was I was showing two tests and I actually went off course in my first test and those then For whatever reason, I was like, okay, my my confidence was shaken and I was like, all right, could you just read this test for me for my next class? Because now I'm you know, I was getting confused, but I really didn't like it. I found myself listening to what the reader was saying more than I was focusing on what I was doing. So it didn't work you know, well for me. I mean, I yeah. got through the test, but I wasn't thinking like what I needed to do. I was like more like I was thinking more about, wait, wait, what did she say? Or,
1: you yeah. yeah. <laughs> know, yeah. you know, people, some people really find a comfort level in having a reader um, because it feels as if it's a lesson and the trainer is talking to you. Right. Um, so there, and, and you, and you think that your horse knows that as well. Um, other people Find the same experience that you had. That instead of concentrating on what you need to do to prepare for each movement, right, you're waiting for your reader to tell you what to do, right. So it's it's a very individual preference. I I know that when I first started showing second level, and there was counter canner, having a reader was really helpful to me because I forgot what lead I was supposed to <laughs> be on sometimes. <laughs> So it was comforting to hear my reader say something about left lead and to realize that I still was on the left lead uh-huh. um, and that that was where I was supposed to be. Um, but, you know, my, my way of preparing to compete and um, what, I, what I recommend to my students is, you know, our, 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 our brains don't know the difference between doing something live Right. Imagining. And I know that Jane Savoy talked a lot about this in that winning feeling. I think that was her first book. Um, And that's visualization. And so what I tell my riders to do is to prepare to go down center line by writing your test every night before you go to bed. And not just, you know, a down center line, X, halt, salute, you know, C, track left, but a enter, you know, I'm sitting evenly on my seat bones. I'm looking at the judge I'm, you know, lifting up my rib cage, I'm closing my leg, I'm closing my hand, I'm thinking about sinking into the saddle, now I'm relaxing into the halt, I'm putting both reins into one hand, I'm dropping my left hand, I'm nodding my head, and I'm saluting, you know, and it can take you instead of a four-minute ride, to visualize can take you 10 or 15 minutes to ride, Right. but at the end of that, you've just ridden the test, and, you know, if you do that enough times... You're hardwiring that in, and some of that muscle memory is there when you actually go down centerline. So I can say that as I plan for going to the Maccabi, I haven't been down centerline in quite a few years, <laughs> um, and so I have been, you know, imagining riding third level test two and third level test three, and even though I don't know the particular horse that I'm riding. And even though I don't know what the arena looks like, I'm, I'm doing that because we're riding according to FEI rules, which means that I can't have a reader. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I can't have a whip. So, <laughs> you know, the more times that I imagine a generic ride, um, the better it's gonna be for me in going down center line. Um, I'm also riding the tests with my own horses even though I won't be taking my own horses right. again, you know, the more you do it, the better off you are. So, yeah, I mean, having a reader sometimes can be really, really useful, but if you are a very competitive rider and you are planning on doing championship rides or whatever, um, it's, you know, it's, it's good to get used to just riding without having that help.
0: Yeah. And I do, I used to do exactly what you said. I would visualize, I would ride that test in my, in my head over and over and over again. And um, yeah, that was, and plus I would never, like, I know where the dressage letters are, but when I would visualize tests and practice and stuff like that, I wouldn't think, you know, I wouldn't think the letters. I would just, you know, ride point to point, more point to point. Mm-hmm. So that was the other thing from the reader that made me go, wait, what letter? What? Wait. I,
1: even though I, I do know them, it just it was. Yeah, it just didn't work well for me. Now, you know, it's interesting you say that about the letters. I had been writing versage a long time before I knew where the letters were. <laughs> um, and I memorized patterns and the right. problem with memorizing yes. patterns is that if you go from a small ring to a large ring, the pattern well, yeah. changes. Yeah, and you know, if you lose your focus for just a fraction of a moment, <laughs> um, knowing the letter that you're going to, and particularly when you start writing um, the 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 le- the tests that do use those RSVP yes. letters and those yep. central line letters, yeah. Riding yeah. accurately makes such a difference. And I, I know we've talked about this before in the Ask the L is, you know, if, if all things being equal, if you ride a beautiful medium and the medium is supposed to go, you know, across the full diagonal and you ride a beautiful diagonal across the full diagonal and I ride a beautiful diagonal and I ride to P. Technically, that's an error, right? So remembering your test based on letters (laughs) can really, really help. And especially when you get to things like third level, where you do the half pass and it's a very shallow half pass. Yeah. And, you know, we think, oh, I'm going to get back to the rail before I'm supposed to. And I'm going to get extra credit points because I've made the movement more difficult because it's a steeper. Half pass. Well, yeah, except that you know what? When you make that half pass steeper, the chances are your horse is running onto the inside shoulder. (laughs) So ride to the correct letter. So knowing where those letters are is super duper important.
0: Oh yeah. I'm not saying it, I yeah, yeah, I'm not saying my way was necessarily the right (laughs) way, but that's also Partly, and it's partly, and we, we, we digress too much, but it's partly how people's brains think too, you yes. know, and yeah. I did know where the letters were, but I just didn't think in my mind what the letters were kind of thing, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining it, but anyway, we digress. We digress. All right. So- but it's all good. It's all good. It's all it's all re- relatable and, and yeah. related. There we go. So moving along. <laughs> so moving along. Yes. Up next, we have our interview with Fran Severn. The PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Health tackle problems using science. And their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. And even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horses live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com.
1: Fran Severn is a freelance writer and broadcaster who grew up in the city, but was determined to get horses in her life. After earning her degree in mass communication, she worked in broadcast news in Louisville, Kentucky, where she covered the Kentucky Derby, events at the Kentucky Horse Park, produced equine focused features, and finally bought her first horse. Moving to England with her Air Force husband, she discovered dressage and continued her training when she returned to the States. She's written about the exclusive tailgate party at the Royal Enclosure at the Ascot Races, shipping horses to the Olympics, riding on Civil War battlefields and the chuckwagon races at the Calgary Stampede. Fran lives on Maryland's Eastern shore where she enjoys riding on the beaches and trails and promoting local equine activities and businesses and travel to the region. Her first book, Riders of a Certain Age has just been published by Trafalgar Square Books. And I'm proud to say that Fran is a student of mine as well as a very good friend. And we're thrilled to have her join us today. Fran, I'm so excited to welcome you to this edition of um, the Dressage Today podcast, and I'm so excited to talk to you about your book. (laughs) I was really honored to be one of your beta readers, and I so enjoyed the book. But before we start talking about that, even though I gave a little bit of a bio and talked about you and how you got involved in horses, you tell us how you got started in horses and particularly in dressage.
2: Oh, Lori, I was one of those horse nut kids. Unfortunately, I grew up in downtown Baltimore, so there were not many horses there. That They, they call them the A-Rabbers. It's the guys that have the horse-drawn carts that go around selling vegetables. I yep. do not know where the name comes from, but that was as close as I ever got to a horse. And then, uh, really, it was after I graduated from college. And I had a choice of a really nice job in Dayton, Ohio, and a really mediocre job in Louisville, Kentucky. So, of course, Louisville yeah. and um, Road. I was working for the <clears throat> 50,000 watt clear channel voice of WHS Louisville. <laughs> and um, one of the perks of that was that we covered the Derby. Woohoo! And my first Derby was um, Alidor and Affirmed oh, standing, my. standing at the paddock entrance, you know, where they, where they take them yep. out shrieking. My last <laughs> one was spectacular bid. And wow. I was standing up on the, uh, you know up by the twin spires where the recording booth was and everything in between. Um, but while I was there, Louisville, I, I rode, I finally had a chance to ride. And then my husband was Air Force. And we spent six years in England. And that's really where I discovered dressage. Um, I have been doing some eventing and jumping, and I'm not real good at that. I don't have the guts to really <laughs> go all the way out with that because yeah. it hurts when you hit the ground. But there was a lady by the name of Christine Dodwell who was long gone. This was the mid 80s, and she was already well into her 70s. <laughs> and she only had three horses. They were all pre-St. George. And that's what you started on. And I'm like, what? And she would say, my dear, if you do not ride it correctly from the beginning, how will you ever know? (laughs) And the horses were fabulous. They would give you nothing unless you did it correctly. (laughs) So that was really exciting. Then we came back to to the States. And um, the first few years, I didn't have a chance to ride. We were busy, like, work. And um, in 2000, my husband got a job on Maryland's Eastern Shore. So we moved down here. And of course, if you know anything about this is where the Purdue and the Tyson and the Mount Air chickens come from. And I had no idea that there was were horses and there were It's not a huge community, but a really strong, not large, but strong dressage community. And I was lucky that I fell in with people that that was what they wanted to do. And that suited me just fine. So that's that's how we got. That's how I got there. Wow. I know that I met people like Aviva. (laughs) So
1: so what do you love about dressage? I mean, I get the idea of eventing. You jump things and you fall off and you don't bounce anymore because we know I don't bounce anymore. But what was it about dressage that I mean, after going through thoroughbred racing, what what made you I mean, you couldn't get a whole lot more opposite.
2: Well, whoever was, was into thoroughbred you know, was not riding thoroughbreds. I could appreciate it. And I did some stories about it in the training. I cannot. The only time I ever imagined what it was like to ride a thoroughbred, my mayor. Do you remember Heather Bold, my, my, my chestnut thoroughbred mayor? Yeah. Who was part cell francais, part thoroughbred. Her great granddaddy was, um, oh, I oh, 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 can't think of the name of it now. Anyhow, he beat Bold Ruler in the Kentucky Derby. and he was third round table round table and i was riding up at, at one of the places one day and it was a windy day and a branch broke behind her and she bolted and i remember thinking this is what it's like to be on a thoroughbred i am going to die now i tried to make her turn to the left she had already decided to go to the to the right we continued in those trajectories and boy, it was not a pleasant I landed on my stomach, thank God. And my first thought was, can I feel my feet? Um, so that's the closest as I ever wish to become to riding a thoroughbred tanking to get someplace. Yeah. <laughs> but but what I love, it's it's that it's a constant progression. You can it it's it's you're on it for the journey. You're not on it to win the ribbon or be the first one across and see how many jumps you can get. It's you're competing with yourself and you're not really competing. I mean, I like to show I like my ribbons, but you're not really competing against somebody else. You're just trying to see where you are on this endless (laughs) spectrum of perfection and just where you can go and to try to get that unity with your horse that you two can mind meld and understand where you're going. And you know, that just fascinates me that it's always a little more. And then if today is not a good day, then you go back and you do mm. something else and then you come back to it. It's just, it, it, it never gets boring because you're never doing the same thing with the, the same goals with jumping. It's got to get this jump. Got to get this jump. With dressage, it's, can I get a little more subtle here? Can we get, yeah. you know? Listen to me a little better okay cool so that's yeah. that's the fascination for me you know Fair it's enough. nothing like giving your horse a big hug at the end of their ride and having them say i love you so much that they snort all over your coat <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so who have been the uh, people that have inspired you in in the horse world through your your horse journey
2: well christine dodwell obviously because she was just such a She 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 loved her horses. They also all rode Western. So she gave me the idea that always put the horse first, Mm -hmm. never get on a horse without a mounting block and always remember everything as a circle. That's like 40 years and it's still in my head. (laughs) And the people that that always put the horses first for a long time when I was in Kentucky, that was in the 70s in the very early 80s. And it was like, push the horse, push the horse, yank on the head. You know, this is what you do to to, to be strong. And I think I got involved when the natural horsemanship thing was starting. And, you know, I did some stuff with Pirelli very early on when it was you had principles, you had objectives, you had this code that it was all about paying attention to what the horse is and um, the relationships and the principles. And I've been very lucky that those are the people that I tend to find myself either naturally or subconsciously um, uh, gravitating to, Yeah, mm-hmm. because to me, that's that's what it's about. It's it's you know, one of the things I said in the book when you're looking at, at how people look at things, it's that men love riding, women love horses, <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that's a big, the men have got to prove they are the manly man taking this horse to his boss. So it's like, oh, please. <laughs>
0: Well, that kind of actually perfectly segues into my next question because, oh. like you said, you you lo- loved horses from a little girl. I'm one of those people that has loved horses from a little girl. Aviva started her riding, lo- you know, career later
1: in life, but but I which, still loved horses when I was a little girl. Okay,
0: you still loved horses when you're oh, a little, yeah. little girl. So what what do you think it is that that makes
2: women love horses so much? Women are more empathic than men and horses have that aura. There've been some studies about, and I mentioned them in the book, of um, heartbeats and frequencies. Right. Yeah. And a horse's natural level is very close to, I think it's the alpha level in humans, the most calm, the most you know, um, intuitive. And that, they're, they're, that can be felt for about 20 feet away. So just being around horses calms people. Yeah. And our physiology, by and large, there are physiological differences. Women are more hardwired to be supportive, to be nurturing, and to be, you know, that, that kind of looking for, um, what I want to say, looking for a balance so that uh and horses feed into that and then the other side is they are non-judgmental in a world where women are often judged for all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. yeah. and um they they are supportive and they give women a chance to be independent and um accomplished in a way that isn't being judged by others necessarily And i think that's very important i love it when i see young girls coming to the stable because if you can tank around of you know 1500 or 1200 1500 (laughs) dutch warm blood ain't no guy going to give you any problem when you're out on a date right yeah Yeah. i think that develops a sense of of self-reliance and self-respect that often the way we have to live we always put ourselves second to the house and the kids and the husband and the job and the this and the that And I think we often lose who we are. And I think horses give this back to us. Well, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) So, you know, I've known you for quite a few years now, Fran, actually. I
1: think it's probably been maybe six years that that I've known you. And I've known you as a writer over the years. Um, lots of articles and, you know, lots of various things here and there, but you've never written a book before. And this is a really unusual volume. What, what kind of, what kind of inspired you to write it?
2: Well, first off, we've known each other longer than that. If you (laughs) knew me with Heather, that's going back. Okay. Heather, Heather gave me AJ and AJ would be 13 so you've known me 15 years oh wow okay That's scary, isn't it okay i know sorry six years six years it's been six years not 15 stop <laughs> aging me actually this whole thing started as a joke i was gonna really? do because i was running into older women doing dressage and dressage has a lot of silly elements if you want to let it you know, yeah. so many people take it wipe. i take the discipline very seriously. I don't take me very seriously. Mm-hmm. I have a very um, uh, what's the word I want to think? Anyhow, I don't come to me a uh, a uh, uh, very. Anyhow, I don't take myself tremendously serious. Although I take my discipline seriously when I'm writing, I do. But it started as going to be a funny little thing about women writing dressage and what the letters mean and all these little cute little little things. And I joined a number of um, Facebook groups that are specifically for older women. And I kept seeing the same questions coming up and the same discussions. And the, the responses ranged from that's good to, oh, dear God, please don't let them read this. And um, <laughs> I thought, you know, when I would answer, I would try to like put really, you know, some, some of my experience and, and, and people that I've spoken to who, who know a lot more than I ever will. And I said, you know, They need a handbook, but there's nothing out there. And I thought that means either one of two things. Either there's no need for it or it's a niche that nobody's filled. So I wrote a a rough copy about half the length that this is sent it up to Trafalgar Books. And they said, lovely, we'll get back with you. And I way past this time when they say, if you haven't heard, forget it. And then in the beginning of December, Two years ago, I got a thing going saying terribly sorry. You'll you'll get a final notice the end of the month by the by the first of the year. So Christmas (laughs) comes, Christmas goes. I thought, well, they just didn't want to mess up my Christmas. And New Year's Eve, they called and said, yes, we want the book. Uh, so while the rest of you were spending quarantine, you know, binge watching uh, you know, something, I was writing a book. I didn't even know we were quarantined. You know, see, you, you know you're an introvert when you're quarantined and your life does not significantly yes. change. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I hear you. So that's what I did. And then as I began to find, you know, um, subjects that needed to be to, I needed to have somebody vet. You know, I was sending things to my veterinarian and two lawyers that I know and talking to my farrier and just digging up all the people that I could so that if I had, you know, if if I wrote something, I could at least say, no, you don't like it. Well, this is the person who told me divert blame.
1: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, I have to say, when I read the first copy that you sent me, it was. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it was a thousand pages long and there was just so much information yes. in it and it was a little bit overwhelming. Oh, yes. And I love the way that you've whittled it down. And I think that where it is now is just about perfect and it allows you volume two. Oh, God. To, to
2: delve, <laughs> to delve into all the things that you took out. Well, but, no, ba- a lot of what I took out, the medical part, because it's older people getting in and was reading. Right. The medical part was probably um, two or three years worth of medical textbooks <laughs> and into all kinds of my that nobody really needs. Um, so that all went the section on natural disasters was 8000 words wow. that got winnowed down to about half of that. And then a lot of it was going and, and I tend when I write, I tend to write very passive voice. And then I go back mm. and say, okay, get rid of all this and turn it oh, around yeah. so that it's actually readable. Um, So, yeah, it went from the initial thing I sent to Trafalgar just as a sample of this is where I think I'm going to go or would like to go was about thirty five thousand words. And they got back. We had a long talk. They said, good, make it 70. seventy thousand, which meant I had to add a, uh, quite a few um, topics that I didn't have originally. And then um, I think it ended up being like sixty nine thousand or close enough for government work. Yeah. Oh, uh, so, yeah. But it, it was amazing to see. And then he had all these things and it was, I had to figure well, how do you lay this out so that it flows in some kind of a, of a proper way? You know, it put this section in safety, doesn't it also belong in health? Because we're talking about hard hats or safety helmets or proper writing. And it really, fortunately, um, the, the editors, um, Rebecca and Martha up at Trafalgar are geniuses um overall plus taking care of a total novice who was probably going, I don't know what I should do next. <laughs> well, Very patient
1: ladies. <laughs> well, what was your favorite part to write? I can I can I can tell our listeners what
2: my favorite part was to read, but what was your favorite part <laughs> to write? I'm not sure there was one that was more fun. Um you know I love doing research. So send me down those rabbit holes. I think probably some of the, the funny things, I mean, the, the, the development of the sports bra had to be one of the funniest things ever, because it actually started with a couple of college girls taking two jock straps to make the, um, the prototype. And it is now bronze and is in the Smithsonian. So, so you find these crazy things yeah that was funny i enjoyed oddly enough writing the natural disasters section because that is immediate help when you need it badly and that was important to me and you know, things about traveling with your horse um those were things that were fun to write the hardest thing was the part about end of life and euthanasia oh, which is yeah. sad anyway yeah. and as aviva will know I had to put my horse, Chance Encounter, down very suddenly. He did not recover from EPM. And I went out one day and he was walking in circles like a drunken sailor. And I was in the middle of doing the final edit of that section. That was hard. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's something that was very important. People really need to think about that when they don't want to. Right. Think about it now before you're in a situation of. Oh dear, I have no cho- no options. Yeah. So, well, so what was your favorite part of Eva? I'd love. To yeah, yeah,
1: I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear your favorite. You know, part interestingly, Eva. there I had two favorite parts, and okay, nobody needs to judge me on this. So, okay. one of my favorite parts was the whole thing about all of the the medical things that happen to us when we <laughs> age. Yeah. Um, because you know, I I am an aging rider. I am sixty three years old, and you know, yeah, I You're have a child. A- no, and I have an overactive bladder, you know, and I have lots of disabilities from falls. And so just just sort of validating all of those kinds of medical issues and, and knowing that some of the issues that I was having um, that I wasn't having, you know, made me younger than I thought I was. <laughs> I enjoyed that. But I think the part that I enjoyed the most was when you talked about, um when people get to a point where either their horses are no longer rideable or where the people feel that they are no longer able to ride and coming up with a way to interact with horses without riding. Thank you. Yeah, I I just that moved me so much. And just, you know, the whole the liberty and the agility and just, you know, the because You know, remember when, I mean, I wasn't a kid when I played with horses, but, you know, that idea of going to the barn and spending three hours grooming your horse. Right. And and as we get older, our time isn't our own anymore, and we don't have time to spend three hours combing out a tail hair by hair. Um, And the idea that you're not in a rush to get your horse tacked Mm -hmm. up and in the arena that your whole purpose of being there is just to be with your horse. Mm-hmm. Um, that part, I think, I that was my favorite. I think Let's honestly, that, that was my favorite part. The,
2: yeah, that that again, that was a late addition, to be honest. And it was it's a group that's called the non riding horse, mm-hmm. and I think it's a Facebook group. There was actually it started in England when a lady's horse was injured, and she said, "Can't compete anymore." I think she can ride a little bit. But she said, I'd rather spend time with the horse than ride. And it became very popular in England. And sadly, some people really got on their case about this. Mm-hmm. You've got a horse you ought to be riding to Ugh. the point that she shut down a bunch of it that is still on the Facebook page. But she had, I believe, an entire association wow. that that just turned for, for why? What do you care? Yeah. <laughs> But I I, I was very glad to find that. And I'm happy when I'm looking on the various Facebook groups that people are saying, well, you know, um, I can't ride. I don't have the money. I've got a bad hip. But is there something I can do? And everybody starts saying, where do you live? Look up. Yeah. Look, look, the the um, the shelters, look up the, the sanctuaries. And there's another group now. And I think I mentioned it in that that what they're doing, if you have the acreage. You kind of lay out your land more as though it would be in the, the, the wild so that the horses have to kind of keep moseying around and finding where they can eat here and there, <laughs> as opposed to us, as yeah. here's, the, here's the pasture, here's your hay. And I find that's a fascinating, fascinating development. There's yeah. a couple of universities that have gotten very involved in setting these things up to see how they work, which I just find fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I've, I've read a lot about that recently, you know, where people are are actually sort of building lanes for their horses to walk yes. down. So, you know, rather than just being in a field with grass as you said that they have to wander and find, you know, okay, well there's grass here and oh look, there's hay over here, but the water is over there, so that they're constantly moving instead of just standing the way that most of our horses do in the field. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah that's, I just find that that's and again, we're we're learning so much. We're learning how horses think. One of the other sections that I enjoyed researching was how we, as older adults think and um, process information and our physical skills. Yeah, I didn't like that part, friend. Hey, 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 hey. I've got what? I've got like six years on you, hon. But I I found that interesting. I found that very encouraging, actually. That you know, by and large, with exceptions of this and this, you know, a couple of little things, um, your your cognitive abilities stay strong, and um, you can if your balance is getting off, you can you can correct that. And I found that just fascinating to think how we think as opposed to younger people and right. and different and what kind of of studies are being done and i just found that was especially encouraging as i'm getting older and i'm having these senior moments <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you meet or interview anyone particularly interesting or inspiring when you were doing all this very wide variety of research
2: There weren't that many people that I actually interviewed, you know, the couple of people that I I spoke with, with, um, oh, let me think, Uh, the American Humane Society, some of those things about rescuing horses. Yeah. They wanted to clear up some misconceptions about horses. Going to auction are always the horses that are are, or horses being surrendered to um, a shelter. They're always the horses that are the losers. And that's really not the case. And almost I think she said it was 90 some. I've forgotten the exact number, but 90 is close enough right. that there are people that just can't take care of them anymore yeah. and they want to try to get some kind of safety for them. They want to try to find some safe place for them to land. So those were some inter- interesting things. A lot of it is when I talk to somebody, just the enthusiasm. They yeah. were so happy to tell me anything. <laughs> the natural disaster people in Louisiana practically adopted me. <laughs> um, there were There's a tax shop in South Carolina and oh heavens i feel guilty i can't remember the name right now anyway they have youtubes and when i was the book i don't mention specific products because you can't you know that's by the time the book comes out yeah but the website www of a certain age.com um <laughs> i have a resources section where i put that stuff in there oh, that, you know, here's a list of you know um hat manufacturers here's a list of you know, people that make saddles for women, and there's this. Uh, some of the places I would find um, YouTube's of. Here's how you wear one of those inflatable vests, and poof! Watch, we're going to show it being it being turned on and popping. And those things were kind of cool, and those people were so excited, and uh, to 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 be asked if they would 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 they let me use their stuff. And of course, you know, why would they say no? And um, there was another section. I pulled up a number of, of stables that had posted their barn rules. If you want some barn rules, here are some examples. Oh, OK. And, you know, the, those things, it was just everybody was so excited about this. Like, wow, what a cool idea. Why didn't I think about this? <laughs> I said, good, buy the book. <laughs> <Okay."> <laughs> so it was more that than the right. individual person. Yeah. Well, that's even better, really.
1: Yeah. 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 So. so this is a really unfair question. It is. <laughs> um, so, so your book, you know, it's 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 very funny, but it's very empathetic at the same time. It's 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 humorous, but it's gentle um, and it makes fun of us old women a little bit. And, you know, it's not just for old women. I mean, the thing that struck me about the book was that I, I there was so much of it that I thought was applicable to young people as well as old people. Um, you know, it's, it's for people just to want to know about horses and talk about horses. And it's, you know, a couple hundred pages about all kinds of stuff. So if you were to sum it up in a couple of sentences, you know, what would you say your book is about and what's the advice that you're giving?
2: Um, I want to, as you said, I wanted to be practical without being a textbook. And as you know, me, Aviva, I can't be serious for longer than five minutes at a time. Yeah, And I think I think it was written for both me and for the people reading to have uh, develop a good ideal or good deal of being self-aware of what you're doing. And, and as you read this, going seeing yourself in that. Yeah. And then um, a little intros- introspection. I can never say that word. <laughs> Um, but you know, to consider to find that this is a blueprint or an outline mm. for finding ways to make your dream with horses happen and at least be realistic. One of the things that always worries me is when people say, oh, I'm 65. We're going to buy five acres and have my horses and live here forever. <laughs> and I'm yeah. thinking, um, OK, I was 63, went on a cruise to um, um, Alaska with a friend, came home did a show with chance, didn't feel right, went to the doctors. And he says, we got to take out a chunk of your stomach. You got colon cancer. We there went my next two years because I reacted. So badly to the chemo. They had to take me off it because it was killing me and then had to do another operation. So, Hey, you know, if I had been trying to take care of my horses at home, it would have been difficult. So my part is like, it's a great idea. Think it through. Don't say no. I'd never say no, no, but think it through. And then, you know, if if you try it great and then if it doesn't work, you've had a, you've, you've had a chance to come up with a plan B and you're not walking into it doughy eyed and then finding out that it's not going to work. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Good and always advice. remember.
2: And always remember. The bottom line is, it's supposed to be fun for both of you, right? You know, toward when when Chance developed EPM the second time, he'd had it once before, and Aviva had worked with me with him then. His back end never came completely back. He str- we get him in beautiful shape. It rained for three days, and he'd lose all the muscle tone. Oh. So when he was, well, he had he had now developed a suspensory injury, which was probably you know compensating for the back end and i'd already decided he was 20 or 21 we never knew and i already decided okay we're not doing dressage anymore you love trails we're now going to do trail rides forever because that's what he could do and he would enjoy it to try yeah. to make him do something that was going to harm him or hurt him or he wasn't going to enjoy what's the point what do you get out of that right do what yeah. the horse enjoys yeah.
0: Though. Well, and that you're very good at segues because that segues yeah, that segues me into the question that I ask everyone on this podcast, Uh-oh. and that and that is, what do you think makes a good horse person? Money? No, that's
2: that's second. <laughs> <laughs> patience. Um, and again, having I have a uh, I have, as I said, I have a very serious attitude towards the discipline. But I have a healthy, insubordinate attitude towards myself and the horse people that I know who are happy and who are good and who are successful, be it. With the ribbons, with whatever, with with the competitions, um, I, I picked that up, you know, look at look at Charlotte Dujardin. You know, she, she has a lot of fun with her horses. She lets them hack. She doesn't right. make them work so hard. Yeah. And when you watch that, watch her ride, those horses are happy. They'll do yes. anything for her. Yeah. And I think that's important. It's it's keeping it in balance. It's remembering that, you know, okay, you've got the ribbon or you've got the medal. Aside from you and your inner circle, the fate of Western civilization does not hinge on this. And it's great to take pride in what you're doing. But if that's all there is in your life, I think you're missing out.
1: Right.
2: To to, to just enjoy, enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride for both of you and never forget at the end of every ride, give your horse a hug and a kiss and say, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they don't, they have absolutely no reason to cooperate with us at all. No, (laughs) They're doing it out of the love of their little fuzzy hearts. (laughs) And probably also apples and peppermints. So. Yeah, <laughs> Yes.
0: So tell us how people can find your book, Writers of a Certain Age.
1: Um, it
2: is Writers wait, of a wait, Certain Age.
1: Wait, wait. First oh, 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 off, oh. they can find two copies on my auction. That's right. I oh. buy, buy her auction.
2: Her auction. Yes.
1: Absolutely. I'm sorry, I just had to do that. No, absolutely. <laughs> not and, that I, and, Where else no, can find it? And
2: thank you because you know, I, I, I mean, do, does everybody know that that? You know, you're going to be representing us in oh, the yes, yes. games. We we have know. lots of talk. Oh, about I'm just that. I'm just so blown away by that. Um, Maybe. just that's thrilling. Um, anyway, when, when is it? When when are when July. are the games? July. July. Yep. Can I get I, does Does American Airlines fly to Israel? Because I've got frequent flyer miles coming out the this. <laughs> I might do that. Hmm, okay. We might we might have to work this. Do you need a groom? Anyway, um, but um um. You can go to the website, which is riders of a certain age dot com. And the website's gorgeous. I found this 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 team in South Africa, of all places, that just took this website and it's got video and all sorts of wonderful stuff. So you can order it through them. The other place is horse and dot com, which is the site for um, Trafalgar, which is the, the publisher. So right. they're very easy and um, you can order it right from them and they will ship it right to you. Super. Yes, right. it's, it's, it's cool. this whole thing. I keep looking at the books and, and you know, they, they've sent me the Trafalgar has sent me um, video things to put up on YouTube and all. And I keep I keep waiting for like the shoe to fall. It's like this is just like really <laughs> happening. And I've got their catalog of the books coming out this year and it's all in there in color. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> woohoo. So they, today they sent me a couple of of clips of of um, um reviews that are showing up in so, some magazines, and they're sending me the clips, and I'm, I'm just a little overwhelmed by oh, so by cool. the reception. It's 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 really exciting. I'm I'm really touched that people are excited, grateful for people like you, Aviva, who jumped in and said, "Yeah, we'll read it," and we're we're blunt but kind. Which is what I needed. Now some people, oh, it's a lovely book, friend. No, no, I need you to be vicious. <laughs> well, I like to think I wasn't vicious, but no, you you were blunt and you were very fair. And that's what I you know, that was helping me to to to, to winnow it down. So that that's this is quite an adventure and it's really exciting. <laughs> well, we're all proud
1: of you and I'm excited for your book to get out there and for people to read it. And again, it's Riders of a Certain Age by Fran Severn, and it is out there and available for you now. And I heartily recommend it to everybody who rides,
2: not just us old women. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you both very, very much.
0: Yes. Well, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate all your time. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, Go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network,
1: LLC.